Lucky to be with you guys tonight. If you haven't met me, my name is James. I have a gorgeous wife, godly, gorgeous wife, Andrea. And um, do you know what was such an encouragement for me? I don't know if there's any double dippers here. I don't think there are many. Oh, there. Phew, is that when Henry preached at 4 p.m., we didn't even chat this week about today, and our messages are so similar that, I mean, there's a whole Bible to choose from. So to land on such similar stuff is, is incredible. So the, the, the title of my preach sounds bleak, but it's not. I'm sticking with it. I'm calling it Handed Over to Death. <laughs> there's not a full stop. There's a comma. Okay, it's not the end. Um, but why, why, why I felt this message, so I'll, so I'll explain now what I mean even by death, is... Like, today's not going to be one of those, it's, it's not primarily a teaching today. I, I, my goal isn't for you guys to walk out saying, oh, wow, I just never knew those things, and they've kind of just interested me. I'm hoping you leave going, oh, wow, my perspective has shifted. That's, that's important. Information will come and go. You'll even forget a lot of information. But perspective about what I'm going through Often I think our prayers, we're all guilty of it, we, we live by sight. And then we try to spiritualize our prayers, but we're actually just asking fleshly, carnal, self-preservation prayers. And it's our perspective, I think, that needs to shift of, Lord, okay, you might be going through, like, like Henry was mentioning Joseph earlier. Um, I got mixed up with Joseph and Moses because I remember watching The Prince of Egypt. Did anyone ever like that movie? Prince, oh, it's gold. It's animated. It's like that old animation style that I loved. Is it on Netflix? Oh, that's gold. You must watch it. But that's about Moses. They feel quite similar in the story. But, but with Joseph, when he was going through what felt like the valley of the shadow of death, when he felt he was going through death experiences... He could have easily, in, those, in the prison cell, said, Lord, I'm pressing eject to seat button. Right now, get me out. I'm done. All your promises, all the dreams you gave me, I guess they've just fallen to the ground and they're dead. So, but what perspective is that in that moment, he had no clue what was going to happen. He had no clue who he was going to end up with, that he was going to be exalted after being humbled. But what matters in the moment is that all, I say all, all we need to know to get us through most of the seasons you're going to go through as a Christian is simple stuff. God loves me. Here's another one. Listen to these words. God is for me. I was driving the other day thinking how profound those words are. It's like, what does that even mean? God is for me. He's not against me. And that not a single moment we go through as believers will be wasted if we give it to the Lord. We say, Lord, whatever death experience I'm going through, your promises, it's not wasted. I don't even see what it's achieving, but I don't need to. You've promised that everything I go through is preparing for me an eternal weight of glory. Amen. So that's along the lines of, that's me softening the title, 
handed over to death. And, and I, think, I think with us is, we'll even look at people in the Bible, we'll look at other Christians, we might look at friends, and we see the fruit in their lives. I don't know if you, if you, who can you think of even in your life right now, where as a Christian, you might know them, or they might just be an internet person, but they're a Christian, and you're like, I really want to be like them. There's fruit in their life that I, I want to I wanna have on my tree. But we look at that, and you know what we miss is that the root of that person's life that that fruit came out of is a much deeper work that takes years and years of valleys, mountains, valleys, mountains, feeling close to the Lord, feeling far. They've been through much of that, and it, it produces like an aroma you can, you, have you ever been around someone, maybe you were that someone, and they've gone through an intense season of just what feels like suffering? It feels like they've been handed over to death. And you'll see in them, there is like an aroma of Christ. There's a humility, there's a softness, and there's life flowing out of them. That it only comes through those valleys that we go through. So I'll say straight off the bat, some of you sitting here, you might rack your brain and think, I don't even know if I'm going through death right now. Or do most of you feel like you're going through death? An area in your life where you feel like God is putting his finger on something and saying this thing maybe needs to die. It feels like it's ongoing. <laughs> there's, like a, there's like a piece of tape around our lives which always says like work in progress as a Christian. But some of you now, because you're still young, life will bring the valley of the shadow of death. Life will bring not just mountaintops, it'll bring valleys. And I'm hoping I can instill something in you today that may my perspective in that moment be, God has promised and he is faithful. And he will see me through. Like it says, David says it in the Psalms many times. He's perpetually got enemies after him. Any time of day, day or night, he's like, enemies are pursuing me. And what he'll often say is he'll end the Psalm or somewhere along the line saying, but those who put their hope in the Lord will not be put to shame. And that should be the same motto I think we should have whatever we go through. So the first scripture I want us to look at is just to give us a bit of context here, I want to start with Jesus. It sounds obvious, but let's start with Jesus and turn to John 12. Such a powerful piece of scripture. John 12, and we'll read verse 23 to 26. Do you have, is that verse 23? Yeah, the writing is tiny at the bottom, but I can kind of see it. Yes. So it says, Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. 
If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. He's saying that like, where I go, you go. And we don't like that. If you imagine a valley and then a beautiful mountain, do you know what human nature does? Is we say, show me a shortcut around the valley. You don't want, no one willingly wants to go into the valley. But we want the glory. Is we want to be exalted. We want almost the fruit on the tree. But we neglect to take the time to say, what is the, what is the root that this is going to come out of? What's the perspective that a, a, a life-giving, um, Christ-like life is going to come out of? And I think you can see that all throughout Jesus' ministry is that you'll see, especially see it if you're reading the Gospel of John. There's certain statements in there. It's, it's kind of funny sometimes where Jesus will heal someone, something happens, and then everyone's like, and now? Are you going to reveal yourself? Like, if you're the Messiah, like, let's make this thing happen. Let's go to the mountaintop, and you just announce yourself. And he'll say, my hour has not yet come. So he knew his mission. And he was slowly, progressively revealing to them God's plan. But he was certain. He said that the Son of Man, all the time, he kept saying this, the Son of Man must be handed over to death. And he reveals it only at certain points during his ministry. And can you remember how the disciples react? How did Peter react? I don't know if you remember. It's in, I don't know if we got that one, in Matthew 16. Shame, Peter receives a lot of flack. But it says here, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter just politely took him aside and began to rebuke him, <laughs> saying, "Far be saying, hell no, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. He's actually being protective. Jeez, I'm not going to let you be handed over. That's not the way to glory. It can't be death. It can't be a cross. But Jesus turned to Peter and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Whew. What can we learn through that there? Don't get caught up even on Peter. Any of you could have been Peter in that scene. Because you're all the same mindedness. You still have the same perspective of why a cross? Why suffering? Why? And Jesus is saying there, not just rebuke you, Peter. He's letting us in, I think, to the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil says, go straight to glory. Seek it. Have it now. Like, what happens also when Jesus was in the wilderness? He's been baptized. He's been this incredible moment, and the Holy Spirit leads him out into the wilderness. What was the scheme of the devil in the wilderness? Think about it. Claiming the glory before its time. Those temptations. Throw yourself down from the temple, and those angels will bear you up. Turn, use your power. Use all that power that's in you. Use it now, not then. Use it now. Flex your Messiah muscles. And three times that happens, and you, Jesus knows. 
what Satan's trying to do. Satan at all costs is saying, don't go the way of the cross. And Jesus is like, I have to go the way of the cross. Because the only life that's going to fall to the ground and bless others is the life that comes out of death. It's a life that goes into death and is resurrected. And it almost, even in our lives, I was thinking about it in that uh, I'm almost jumping ahead to application at the end. But whatever I'm sharing with you today isn't just about you and God. Because you can end up thinking of that. You're like, what am I going through? What are my death experiences? That's true, but you can't stop there. All of us are going to miss out if you don't allow yourself to be handed over to death. Because there's a river that God wants to flow through your life. And we're not going to experience it if you try to save my life. And for some of us, you can spend, you've maybe spent the last three years learning a lesson that God wanted to do in six months. Because you're not allowing yourself to be handed over to death. You're fighting it and you're going with Peter and you're saying, nope, Lord, I don't accept that. I don't accept your ways. It doesn't make sense to me. This is a weird religion. And for us, I think there's many areas probably in us where we have to ask ourselves tonight and say, Lord, for God's sake, for the sake of my own life, for the sake of others around me, what are areas in me that I am holding on to? And I think what I have now is better than what will be raised up afterwards. That's often why we hold on. We're scared. Okay, I'm checking back out of application. I'm not getting there yet. But that's, that's fascinating, that, that, that look at Jesus' life. I mean, I've just given us a peek in. I've just opened up a few pages. We've looked in. But over and over, you can also see that what helped Jesus so willingly just give himself over? What was it that gave him that security? He, yeah, well, he was in no doubt about what's going to happen here. In his little speech there, he didn't say, the Son of Man must be handed over, be killed, and then let's see what happens. He's saying, and he will be raised on the third day. I mean, that didn't change the agony of the cross. <laughs> you can still know what's going to happen, even for us. We can still know God, I'm his workmanship, he's going to create something beautiful here. You still go through death experiences, and it's, it's Anah. Everything in you wants to just pull away from it. But for Jesus, he knew, I'm going to hand myself over, but my father will not abandon my soul to Sheol. He will not abandon me. He will not forsake me. And even in the cross, there's that mysterious moment. We, we, we discussed it the other day of what was really happening even when Jesus said, Father, why have you forsaken me? And he's quoting Psalm 22 there, which was, in the mind, if a Jew was standing there and they heard those words, they would, it would be opening up like a vault in their head of richness because that was a messianic psalm. And the, they knew that the Messiah would fulfill these prophecies. So Jesus in that moment is saying, I am the fulfillment. I am the one that's going to be cut off so that my whole people don't have to be cut off themselves. And I'm going to taste death. 
But we've got to keep that in mind. And it's not just Jesus' superhero. It's not just that he's much more secure. It's that he knew who was holding him. And you need to know that. You have to know that. That's what will secure you. So let's turn also to our next scripture. Is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. I don't hear a lot of pages turning. (laughs) Cell phones? (laughs) Are they turning? Maybe it just makes us lazy having an AV projector. But 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Now we're going in deep, guys. Are you ready? Shame. Okay, from verse 7. Henry, ring a bell from earlier. (laughs) He says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. He's saying this is the reality, what's seen, but what's unseen is the second bit. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Don't miss the so that. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Amen. I promise you, if you miss the so that, you're going to be a bleak, defeated Christian. It's the same, many of us repeat certain things to ourselves, like you must deny yourself. Deny yourself. If you quote that to yourself and you miss, for what? You're going to be bleak. All you're going to think is, oh, I'm just, I'm just supposed to die. <laughs> just die. Christians die. That's what we do. We deny ourselves, we die, and that's just the T's and C's. That's what I signed up for. I promise you, your evangelism to the lost is going to be weak. Even before you've opened your mouth, they might look at you and go, Eesh, I'm not keen. <laughs> You're like, can I tell you about Jesus? And they're like, no. <laughs> so, so our posture needs to be one of Paul. Most of Paul's letters, he's in prison. It's not an American prison where they got libraries and TVs and all that stuff. He's like in a concrete floor with rats and and a note, somehow a notebook. I mean, he's writing these letters, but all the time he'll write letters and say, rejoice always. It's a radical. And here he's saying, even though our reality looks like this, it looks like forsaken, it looks like crushed, it looks like persecuted, it's not the final word. And that's a game changer for your faith. It's easier said than done. I mean, it's, it's easy for us to sit and go, amen, brother, preach. Preach the word. Wait till you hit that moment. And you're looking at persecuted, forsaken, crushed, and you're going, what what did James tell me to remember? (laughs) Because living by sight is so real in the moment. Living by what I feel. But you've got to root yourself and say, my feelings are not God. They're not my compass. My sight is not my compass. God has promised he's achieving something in me, and he's going to do it. That victory mindset is a game changer. I would, I would exhort you tonight, 
cultivate a victory mindset in you. It doesn't mean you're just someone who like denies suffering. Some people go weird with their little victory mindset and they're like, no, I'm not sick. And I'm like, no, you're sick. They're like, no, I'm not. I'm victorious. I'm like, mm. <laughs> Paul still lists the first thing in the sentence. He's not going, no, we're not persecuted. He's saying, no, we are. But that's not the final word. So you mustn't swing to like a denial of reality. You acknowledge reality. I feel this way right now. I feel far from God today. I feel forsaken. But the Lord has said he will take me in. And he's preparing a home for me. I'm not an orphan anymore. I have received full rights of sonship. And I belong to him. You speak to your soul. But it'll be tested in the moment. And look, just go back one. Oh, no, 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 go on, actually. No, not back. Yeah, don't know if I read this yet. (laughs) Haven't I? Oh. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that, uh, this is another so that, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. And he's saying there, Look at that first identity statement for a Christian. Can you see it? We who live. That's encouraging. Even though you're putting things to death, you're not a corpse anymore. If you remember your baptism moment, and your baptism moment is symbolic of your entry into the Christian faith, how did you enter? Through death. Amen? Hold the person down. Come back up. Resurrection. New life, that's what it's representing. And if that's the way you started your Christian faith, why are you expecting anything different? Is we lose sight of that. And he's saying it's we who live. This is our identity now. We have the life of Christ at work in us. And do you know what else I was thinking of? Some people, we often classify a certain theology as prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel is a huge category. There's a lot of things that fall in there. But often what is taught in that is if suffering is coming to you, loss of, loss of your job, loss of finances, loss of, the list could go on, reputation, I don't know, anything in the temporal natural realm, people in a prosperity gospel mindset will look at and say, this person must have sinned, or God's God's against this person, or maybe they're not giving enough finances to the Lord. That's why that's happening. They're, in a sense, a bit like Job's friends. And they're saying, what you're getting is just because of what you're doing. They don't have any category for the Lord can freely give and the Lord can freely take away. Both are undeserved. The suffering might be undeserved and the gift is undeserved. They don't have a category for that. But we need to. We need to be those I mean, think of Paul. If that theology were true, I would look at the Apostle Paul and say God hated him. He was cursed by God. Amen? Have you ever been through the lists of what Paul says? If he says, you want to be like me, let me give you a list. Sunburnt. Shipwrecked. Forsaken. Betrayed by closest friends. The list goes on and on and on. Well, that was inferred. He's sunburned because he's shipwrecked. (laughs) 
but he's been through so many things. And still, he would be someone who writes in Galatians 2.20. He says that whole thing, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He says, in the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And look what he adds in. Who loved me and gave himself for me. That is a powerful statement. Is you need to be someone, no matter what you're going through, that you say, devil, you can bring whatever attacks you want here. This is James, who God loves, and he is for me. He's demonstrated that once for all on the cross. If he did that, how much more will he not provide for me? You've got to be rooted in that truth. And, and that, that's so that statement I wanted to pick up on here. How many of you does that resonate with? That you feel like you've, you've gone through times or you've been through it now where you feel like you're losing sight of the so that. You just see death at work in you. And you know, such a powerful um, metaphor or story I want to share with you is there's, there's, there, there's a story of a French um, sculptor who, who did marble sculptures and stuff like that. And he did this, this incredible stallion on its hind legs rearing up. It's about like two, three meters tall out of, out of marble. And this thing was being showcased. People were marveling at all the details. It's beautiful. And, and, and a person interviewing him said, how did you do this? Like, where do you even start? How did, how did you get to that thing? And this guy, you can imagine the French kind of accent, saying, it's simple. <laughs> That's like Mexican or something. He was, saying, he was saying, it's simple. Listen to this. He says, all I did is I cut away anything that was not the stallion. Hello? Think that through. That's deep. He's just like, I just chopped away, and then I had like a block at one point, and I was like, what the heck do I make? And I tried to make like a giraffe, and I got the neck too short, so I turned it into a stallion. No, he's saying I knew what was in there. I saw it, and I'm making it. And that's God's perspective of you. All you see is chop off, chop off. Oh, oh no, there's another thing God wants to chop off. And that's the legs. Now it's my head is too big again. Chops off some of the head. But you've got to know God's perspective is he's looking at you and he's like, I know exactly what I'm making. You don't see it. But he, he says in a scripture like uh, Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he pre prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's not all up to chance. He's like, I called you out by name, and I saw the man and the woman I'm creating, and I'm going to reveal that person to powers, to principalities, to angels, demons, mankind. I'm going to reveal that person. Does that encourage your soul? You've got to keep that in mind because it'll help you hand yourself over to death. Because if you hand yourself over to death and you don't believe or you don't have that assurance that God's making something here, it feels risky. 
I remember for me, just practically, in about 2013, I joined Josh Den in 2012, so I'm like a fossil. <laughs> I'm old. Um, <laughs> in 2012, in City, Josh Den City Bowl, and I'd just come out of varsity, I'd studied here at Stellenbosch, and um, I, was, I was a bit rough in some ways, like my character needed work. If I was a piece of marble, I was probably just a square piece of marble at that point. God had a lot of work to do. But I remember there was a lot of healing. I had to learn, I was learning to just trust um, Christians again because I felt like I'd been let down by Christians in the church. And one of the things I felt the Lord put his hand on first to bring death was my humor. My sense of what? <laughs> it's become like very dad humorish now, but that's better. I'll take that is that I realized that the Lord was putting his finger on, I think in school, I ended up in a group of friends where a lot of you were in that same group, so don't you dare judge me right now, <laughs> in that you would just position yourself strategically in the class, and as long as you're not being joked at, you're happy. So you'll be part of the jokes, you'll end up joking maybe at someone's expense, um, and it's not straight up bullying, but it's, just, it's not building the person up. You're just looking to always be, be involved. Be involved, be liked. And I could see there were still remnants of that in me. And I felt the Lord saying, I need to put this to death. And I was like, Lord, this is not a part of me that feels exterior. It feels like you're cutting me off. Like, what am I going to look like afterwards? Will I still be funny? What will I sound like? And I remember going through that season and having to even stay away from certain friends that I felt were... Their words weren't building people up. They were just trying to be liked, trying to get a laugh. And I went through stages where I would sit like in home group and I'd just be like, like I don't even know what to say. I didn't trust myself. And I had to like recalibrate my, my software up here. It was years and years. And afterwards, if you ask Andrea now, I do still laugh. I joke, I'm funny, I think. But... But that experience made me way more aware of what effect are my words having on people. Am I just, am I insecure that I need to somehow find security all over the show at, at, at someone's expense? Am I driven by that need or am I let, letting Christ fill it? And that's, that's why I don't want you to just hear theory. That's just one, one story in my life. But I remember it because you don't, maybe you don't expect it. Those kind of things. It feels too close to home. Or it feels like that's your personality. You feel like God's putting the sword to your literal personality. And you're like, you better be a good surgeon if you're going to get to work there, Lord. And thankfully he is. But I think, I think some of us, again, I'll say to you, where are areas where God has maybe even already handed you over to death in that area? And where have you tried to just jump straight out of it? Think it through. Say, Lord, bring this to mind. Because do you know some of us, I think, we're maybe so immature in that area that he can't almost hand us over to too much at once. Because if you're very self-orientated, if self is still your kind of God you're maintaining here, my self-image, my self-reliance, what people think of me, 
then, then there's almost too much of you still. God needs to remove all of that. And, and, and it's almost like rocks in a river. That's how I picture it. He wants to flow through you. But there's a lot of things in us hindering the life of God. And some of us are like kids. I don't know if, if you ever got hidings when you were a child. A smack. Do you know what I would do? I was a drama queen. <laughs> Is my mom would be like, Dad's going to come home and he's going to give you a hiding. And then I'd be like, what are my strategies? I can either be really dramatic, pretend you're like tormenting me and I'm going to die. Or I can just go, I can harden up and be like, I don't care. It's not doing anything to me. doesn't matter. I don't need you. And then what would happen sometimes is I get like the first hiding. I'm like, Dad, you're killing me. You're killing me. And my dad's like, no. Like, we've told you we love you. You did something wrong. You robbed your sister of a cookie or whatever. So you're getting a hiding. And obviously now I'm grateful for it. But spiritually... Some of us are like that kid. We're going, you're going to kill me. And he's saying, no, learn to trust me. Learn to trust me. By the time the next hiding came for James, I'm like, okay, I didn't die. Okay, I can take this. I can be disciplined. And for some of us, you learn that in your Christian walk. You hand things slowly over to God. And you see what comes out the other side actually has life in it. And you go, okay. I think I can trust him. So some of the areas of our lives, I think we're, we're this, just to kind of stoke your thoughts, by far the number one in my mind is, I almost just want to call it self, but self-reliance. I think if God doesn't put the sword to that area, do you know what you're going to end up thinking? Is that I can do it. You start living the Christian life as if I, it's no longer, no, how would you turn that scripture? You're like, it's I who live, not Christ. Christ is just helping me. God's going to put the sword to that. He's going to say, I want to be your all in all. I don't want you just to sing about me being your all in all. I want to actually be your all in all. So I think areas in us where we are taking Christ and then adding on me and my works, and my image in the community, and my reputation, what people think of me, my acts of Christian service, all those things. He's going to say, for your own good, my son, my daughter, I need to put the sword to that. Because your worship is going to be less. Your gratitude is going to be less if you stay in that place. Because the glory will not all be mine. The thing is, when God breaks that area in you, and he breaks self-reliance, watch your worship go to the next level. Amen? Have you been through that? You've maybe thought, okay, yeah, this, this thing does recommend me before God. And then you realize, oh, shucks, it doesn't. Then you come back into God's presence, and you're singing, it's only by the blood. <laughs> it's only by the blood. I enter, because you know, I've got nothing else to offer. It's the sword has gone to all of those things. So I think self, I'll just call it self, self-reliance. I think another huge one is fear of man. Fear of man is God's going to put the sword to that thing because man is not your master. You're not a servant primarily of man. You're a servant of God. Paul says something profound in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, 
For though I am free from all, I've now become a servant of all. Because he realized that I'm free from you, I don't need your acceptance, and I don't fear your rejection, I can actually love you now. That's powerful for us, is that God wants to bring us to that place where we're not swayed by either craving acceptance from man or fearing his rejection. And that's probably an anyone been through that? That's an anar area. Because the only way you can get through it is by it actually happening. Either feeling that you're not getting the acceptance you wanted, you're not, you're not, you lose maybe even the image. You had an image in your mind of who you were. And that's what gave you safety and comfort. And then you realize, actually, that's, that's a false image. A picture God gave me a few years ago is I saw myself as this big tree. Uh, I think it's the tree we had in our garden growing up, so that's where it came from. But it was a biggish tree, and I felt like the Lord saying, it was in a dream. I felt him saying that, look closer at that tree. And I looked closer, and I realized that 70% of the tree had died and was dead wood. And 30% had the life of the branches and stuff, the life flowing through it. And I felt the Lord speaking to me in that season saying, you have added things onto your life to make you appear more than you are. But there's no life flowing through them. So do you truly want life, James? And I was like, yes. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what that entails. And he had to cut off. But you know what's the ironic thing? Is even when all the dead branches get cut off, that is the true size I always was. I haven't lost anything. The rest was dead. There was no life flowing through it. And I think another area is selfish ambition, which also just fits in with self. I often battle with that many times. If, I'm, if I have to preach, if I have to do anything that is public and opens the door up for man's praises, I actually get nervous. Because it, it was George, Whit, George Whitfield, I don't know if you've heard of him, one of the most effective evangelists, powerful of the last few centuries, when he, he was 19 years old, when he was in London already preaching outdoors to 20,000 people, and he was being exalted almost by the people, and he does the six-week boat trip to America, and you get an inside look into his journals, and you know what was the biggest fear he had on that whole trip? The praise of man. He said, Lord, I will not step into this ministry unless you give me the wisdom, the security in you that I'm not going to feed off this. Because that's dangerous, what's happening there. And for me, that, that also, I watch out for that sometimes. I don't want to become just some false, humble, weird person where you're like, thanks, that, was, that really helped me so much. And I'm like, no, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. That's just weird. It was me. But the difference is the all-surpassing power belongs to God, like we read just now. It's me, like Paul says, that I live, but no longer I that live. That's the mindset you need as a believer. The fruit coming out of my life is coming through me, but it's not really coming from me. Amen. That'll make the Lord want to give more to you, I promise you. Because you're saying the whole time, not to me, give the glory, Lord, but to you. Sending it up. It's yours. He'll go, there's a man and a woman. 
I can use. If you're a glory thief and you're saying, give me some of the glory, he's going to put the sword to that. I think another few things here I'd mention is shyness. Again, personality. Just like God put the sword to my humor, some of us think these areas of my life are just a given. Like the sword doesn't even go in there because that's just me. That's just who I am as a person. You might be very shy. What's the opposite of shy? I was trying to write it on earlier. Loud, but loud's not a sin. Bold's not a sin either. Obnoxious, maybe you are. Maybe you like being the center of attention. And you're like, that's just who I am. Put it before the Lord and say, Lord, is the life of God flowing through this? Someone asked me earlier, I was chatting to Tabani, is he here? Yeah, Tabani was like, well, does this mean that I must just go out and make myself die? <laughs> or like, just make things die, almost like you preempt it. And I was like, no, God is faithful enough. You're his workmanship. You're not your workmanship. He said, just yield yourself to me and I'll put my finger on those, on those things. So don't go out after this and like deny yourself food for a week or something to just die. Don't do that. <laughs> Ask the Lord. Say, Lord, put your finger on those areas of me. Could be your humor, your speech. Yeah, those are just a few things I have. But I want to see how my time is doing here. Yeah, I want to pray for us. And I want to give us a chance to respond. Because like I said, there's not just an information message. Most of us probably tonight, if we're honest, can stand about something. So on that note, stand. If you feel like there's an area in your life that everyone's looking around to see who doesn't stand. <laughs> no, you can be honest. <laughs> but I think most of us, whether it's a small thing or a big thing, we have that sense of death at work in me in a certain area. Why don't you just lift your hands it's before the Lord just to receive from Him. Come humbly. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You say you keep your covenant to a thousand generations. You're a covenant-keeping God. That's the basis even of our prayers tonight, is we come in the name of Jesus. He is the name and the seal of that covenant. We don't come in our name. We don't come in how well we are putting things to death in our lives, how well we're overcoming. We come by the victorious name of Jesus, who has opened up a better way for us. I thank you, Lord, for every person in this room that you have come alongside us and said, I am making known to you the path of life. So come walk in it. And I pray for each and, each and every one of us, God. I pray individually as we need it tonight, reveal to us, Lord, even blind spots, where, where death wants to get at work in us, but we're just resisting it. And we're resisting it. And we're trying to save our life and whatever image of our life we have, because we think it's better. And I pray we'd repent and say, Lord, how dare we think that we 
no better than our Creator, who loved us and sent His Son for us, who loved us while we were weak, while we were powerless. You set your love on us, God, not because of how good we were, but you steeped, you, you steeped down into the dust, and you made something out of us, God. And you are still making something beautiful out of us, Lord. And I pray that that truth would land right now with these hands raised in humility before you. Let that truth land that you are the sculptor and we are that statue. And we might not see fully what you're doing, but we declare tonight that we trust you, Lord Jesus. We trust you with what you're doing in us. And we repent for resisting your work. Right now, wherever you are, just pray that out. Just say, Lord, I repent for trying to save my life. I repent for trying to fight you and fight your hand as the sculptor. Life will already begin to flow as you humble yourself. It will already begin to flow through you. I pray that we would know tonight. We wouldn't just know these truths, but we would know that we know it. That our God is for us, not against us. He is for us, not against us. That whatever we're going through, it's not because He's punishing us. It's not because of our sin. There might be consequences to our sin. But I pray that the devil would not come in here and just muddy the truth. And put false shame on us, false guilt. May we turn our swords to the enemy and not ourselves, Lord. May we turn the sword to the enemy to sin in our lives and say, you don't belong here. I am made for Jesus and I'm made for his life to be in me. Not my life, not my, my idea of life and prosperity, his idea. So, Lord, we present ourselves before the cross tonight. And we say, Lord, cut off anything in us that's not pleasing to you. Restore in us, Lord, the joy of our salvation. That we would know that we can face hardship even with joy. I want to give an opportunity. Is there anyone here who you've actually never for the first time given yourselves over to death? You haven't become a Christian. Because the way into God's kingdom is through you not being improved, through you dying and having new life in Christ. I want to pray for you if that's you. Eyes are still closed. Be brave. Put your hand up if that's you. Put up high enough so I can see it. Thank you. I see that. There's two hands. Dom, will you just get around him there at the back? Go over here. Well, it could be a hand. <laughs> I just pray for these people now, Lord. Whoever put their hands up, whoever even just prayed that prayer, I pray, God, that you would help them to lay themselves down at your feet and to say, I am throwing myself on your mercy, Lord. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I don't want to live as a rebel to you, God. I don't want my sin to separate me from the God who made me for himself. You made me for yourself. 
So I pray, God, that tonight any person praying that prayer, that they would come in humility, that they'd come with the humility and the faith that you provide. And they, I, I come to you, Lord, asking for your son, asking for his righteousness to be mine. I exchange my dirty robes, and I say, make me yours, Jesus. Help me to find my home in you. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the work you're doing tonight. I'd encourage you, even as we just end off tonight, some of you might be traveling soon, you might be leaving this next week. Like I said earlier, this is a community project. This is not just you and God alone. We want life amongst us. I want to see life coming out of all of you guys. Look at the person next to you and say, I want to see life coming out of you. (laughs) Say it in like a semi-threatening way. (laughs) Hey, don't point at me like that. (laughs) So yeah, let's hold each other to this. If you guys... also, if you, have, if you have friends in this room, if you have relationships, I want to encourage you, even this, work, this week, spend time in prayer and say, Lord, who are people in my circle who I can call out life in them? That they're not seeing it. They feel like they're just the, sculpt, the sculpture. But I see it. And I want to call it out in them and say, arise and shine. Would you do that this week also? Okay. God bless. Goodbye. Oh, there's some tea and coffee at the back, if you guys are keen. And it's raining outside. Okay.